0: Welcome to the Garden Heart Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Secchiaroli. Today on the podcast, I'm actually sharing a recording of a breakout session that I did from the Western New York Breakaway Weekend in Ellicottville, New York. So this weekend was a, women's, uh, a regional women's retreat that I had the privilege to serve on the team for and we saw about 70 women come together and just focus on Jesus and to learn from different speakers and um, different presenters and really just a chance to truly break away from our busy lives to just focus on Jesus. It was such a beautiful time, plus all the fall colors right now were on point. It was just absolutely gorgeous. For my breakout session, the topic I got to share on was how to live out your values and callings. But as I dove into the message prep, it started to turn into a message about how we can live out our values and callings in a world full of opposition. As I prayed about what to speak on, the book of Esther was placed in my heart. As I studied and read the book again, it turns out that the story of Esther is about a young woman and her cousin Mordecai standing on their Jewish values and convictions, especially in the face of opposition and hardship. The story is just so rich and beautiful, and it speaks of the goodness of God and his faithfulness to his people through the life and obedience of a young woman whose name was Esther. The first half of this message is about how we can identify personal values and callings. So as I started to think about um, just my message prep and what to speak on, I started to realize that, you know, people who are listening to me might not even know fully know what their values and their callings are right now in their season of their life. So in the first half, I gave some practical tools and just tips on how to discover personal values and how those personal values can help us identify what God might be calling us to do in this season of our life or in the future. Then the second half of this message, we dive into the story of Esther. We basically do a flyby over the whole story, and we're doing that as we're looking through the lens of how we can live out our values and callings in this world. Also, I want to mention one more thing. At the end of this message, you'll notice that I mentioned a girl named Rachel. The Rachel I was referring to was actually Rachel Joy Scott, the first victim of the Columbine High School shooting in Littleton, Colorado on April 20th, 1999. One of our speakers for that weekend was Beth Nimmo, who is actually Rachel's mother. If you don't know Rachel's story, I want to encourage you to do some research into it. Although she lost her life on that tragic day, the months and years leading up to it spoke of nothing more than a story that God was writing in her heart, preparing her to give her life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Rachel is one example of a young woman who stood on her values and callings in the face of opposition. And I pray that as we go through the book of Esther, that we would be equipped and empowered to do the same. And like I said, Esther is just another woman who, you know, in the face of opposition, she was willing to put her life on the the line to do what is right and to do what God is putting great before her. So as you listen to this message, I just pray that it blesses you and that it, encourage you, it encourages you, and especially of these three things. That one, that God has a purpose for your life. Two, that even though standing on our values is hard, it is so worth it. And three, you were born for such a time as this. There's a lot to get there. So my name is Melissa. Thank you so much for coming. I hope everybody slept well. Uh, I didn't. I feel like I'm nocturnal. I was telling them. (laughs) I'm like, as soon as I hit the pillow, I'm like, oh, I'm awake. Um, Okay, so this is how to live out our values and callings. Um, We are going to be in the book of Esther. Um, So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. Um, I highly suggest you turn to your Bibles because we're going to go through a lot of scripture. Um, But it's okay if you just want to listen along too. Um, then another thing, I like my notes are very extensive. So if you miss anything and you want my notes, like you could just give me your email address at the end, and I can send them to you. Um, that's totally fine. So I'm gonna open up in prayer really quick, and um, yeah, we'll just dive right in. So God, I just thank you so much for this time. Um, God, thank you for this weekend, Lord, and uh, just thank you, God, for this space where we can um, just break away from our normal lives and. Um, really just focusing on you and um, tune our hearts and our ears to hear your voice. And um, God, we just lift up this time to you. God, I know and I trust, Father, that every woman that's sitting in um, this room right now, God, you want them to be here. And Lord, I don't know their hearts. You know their hearts. You know the battles and the struggles and the fears that they're facing today. And um, Or maybe their life is going really good. God, you see it all. You know it all. And um, I just pray, Father, that you would just speak to all of us. Um, God, that you would just hear exactly what it is you want us to take away from this time. Um, God, I submit myself to you, God. I humble myself before you. And, um, God, I just pray, Father, that for all of us, God, that um, that our faith, Lord, would just rest not on human wisdom, not on human words, God, but on the power of God and on who you are. Um, so, God, we just love you, and we praise things in Jesus' name. Okay. So yeah, so today's topic is how to live out our values and callings. Um, So obviously in today's world, uh, living out our Christian values and callings is very difficult. Um, I feel like as just time goes on, and maybe it's always been like this for Christians, I mean persecution has been around since, you know, forever. So, you know, but in today's world with just like everything just coming against us and just these opposing values, it's really hard to stand up on our values and stand in our faith for Jesus Christ. So as I started to think about this, um, I wish I would have changed the title to How to Live Out Your Christian Values in a World of Opposition, but it's okay. (laughs) But that's kind of the route that we're going to take this morning, because I just really feel like that's what God put on my heart. Um, So yeah, so we have, obviously as Christians, we have fundamental Christian values that are shaped by the Word of God. Um, So, you know, when you give your life to Christ, you know, you might not know everything that the Word, you know, is teaching you to value, but the Bible should shape our values and should shape the foundation of everything that we believe in um, but before we jump into the fundamental christian values and how to live those out um, i just want to take a few minutes to really dive into uh, personal values um, because as i was thinking about this you know how to live out your values and callings i started to realize well you know maybe we don't all understand what our values and our callings are and maybe you know but like maybe it's just not in the forefront of your mind so you know your top three values maybe you've never really thought about it before Um, so we're going to take some time to identify our personal values because our personal values once we you know kind of realize what is really like true and dear to our heart that can help us figure out what God might be calling us to do in the season of our life or in the future Um, so number one just how to identify our personal values Um, well the question is also what is values and simply put values are the essence of what we believe or what's important to us. Like, that's probably, like, the most basic definition. Um, so there's just some really practical ways to figure out what our values are, maybe some of our top, you know, personal values. Um, so some things that you can, you know, start brainstorming now, start to think about, um, are these questions. So, you know, what are ways to identify our values? Um, so what gets you upset? Uh, what is something where maybe you see it in the news, or you see it in you know, your friend's life or something that's going on in your life, what's something that causes a reaction out of you? Um, it doesn't have to be just, a, you know, being upset. I mean, it could be, you know, maybe like a righteous anger. It could be compassion. Um, it could be sadness. Uh, what is something where you can start to think about your life that causes that emotional reaction out of you? Um, what struggles have you had in your life? Uh, this is another way to identify personal values because obviously our struggles and our background really shape who we are today Um, so depending on your story maybe there's some things that you have walked through that have been very um defining in your life that have really shaped who you are today and maybe that's something when you look back you can now identify okay like I value maybe I value a really solid home structure because I grew up in a really abusive situation like you can start to think that through uh, what takes up your time your money and your resources um, this is something you know that's probably really kind of common sense but you know we don't realize that sometimes that you know whatever you value you will invest your life into it you will invest your money you will invest your time you will invest your resources to you know have that thing that you value um, so that's something that you can think about Um, Dr. Stephen Hayes, uh, he created this like commitment therapy. I don't even understand it all. But um, he says this. He says he suggests that you can uncover your values by naming your heroes. Um, So who are people that you look up to or who you admire? Um, That's something because obviously like when you admire somebody, there's something that you value in them. So what are the characteristics that you see in them that you really want in your own life? Um, So just to get your brain rolling a little bit, I was just going to share a couple personal examples um because like when I was preparing this, I'm like I know I have values, but like what are my top three or five? I have no idea. Um but I started to think about it. I'm like, okay, I'm like, I think some of my top three values um are truth, purpose, and relationships. And um I came to these conclusions because uh truth is something I really value. Um because just you know, looking at myself, um I get like righteously angry, um, really upset, compassionate when I don't see people walking in truth or when there's deception in their lives and um, in regards to the Bible, in regards to how God created us to live. And um, one of the reasons for that is because I grew up in a cult. I grew up in an environment that really mishandled the word of God. And um, I have witnessed and I have experienced a life where bad doctrine is in somebody's life and it's destructive. And it just lives, families, and marriages. And I've seen that firsthand. So as I start to think about it, I'm like, why am I so passionate for truth? And it's like, well, because, like, I seen it firsthand of what happens when you're not living in truth. And, I mean, and that could also be an experience for you if you didn't grow up in a cult. But that was just something that I grew up in. Um, another thing that I really value is purpose. Um, purpose, because before I, gave my, before I gave my life to Jesus, I had no purpose. And I couldn't find it anywhere. Um you know, as a teenager, I struggled a lot with worthlessness and depression and suicidal thoughts because I lacked so much purpose. Like I I felt like a waste of space and it resulted into all those struggles. Um, So now I really value purpose and I value helping other people find their purpose because I get it. Like I know what it's like to live a life where you feel like you don't matter and um, it's horrible. And then relationships uh, friendships and people Um, so just simply put when you look at my calendar uh, you can see that my husband and i we invest a lot of time into relationships and the people Um, and we just value uh, helping people in their walks with god we value our friendships Um, so a lot of our time is dedicated to people Um, so i don't know if you guys started to do this but we're actually going to take like a two three minute break and i want you to actually write down um some of your values that you can think of so go ahead and do that (laughs) so and we can pick it up when everybody's done but just like you know three four five values whatever you want to do one if you can't think of anything else because it can really take some time to like you know try to figure out what you value Everybody good? Kind of? You can start brainstorming them, too. I think that was a couple minutes. Okay, cool. So maybe you have one that would be great to even work with. Um, so now the question is, now that we've identified um, potential personal values, now the question is, we have to ask ourselves and allow God to kind of review our hearts to see if our personal values, the things that you just wrote down, are they more godly, eternal focus, or are they more selfish, temporary focus? um because one thing one thing that we need to understand as christians and i mean obviously we probably all understand this so just bear with me But um, our fundamental Christian values, like when we stand on the word of God and when we stand on truth and we make that our foundation, then obviously everything else in our life is impacted, which includes our personal values. So we need to make sure that as our personal values, as we are living them out, we need to make sure that those things are rooted in our fundamental Christian values so that they are the most honoring and glorifying to God and so that God can really bless those things. Because if we're trying to live live out certain values that are more selfish or we have more of a temporary perspective on those things we can't really expect that god is going to bless it and that he's going to use it for his kingdom um so this is something that is really going to take you know soul searching in a sense like we need to allow god to search our hearts because sometimes we can have a certain approach into our personal values um, with a more temporary mindset but because of the busyness of life and our distractions like you just might not realize it um, so I really want to challenge you, like, especially when you go home, to really uh, just allow God to search your heart and to show you, like, okay, God, like, I have these personal values. Now, are they truly being used for the kingdom of God? Um, do, do, do. So Philippians 2.3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others, of, value others above yourselves, uh, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Um, so like I said, we have to allow God to really show kind of just the motives of our heart and the state of our heart. Are we approaching life? Are we approaching these values with selfish ambition? Are we really doing certain things because they make us feel good or it completes the part of us? Or are we living out our values because we genuinely want to expand God's kingdom? Um, another thing that you can do where you can kind of you know, like, uh, figure out, you know, okay, do I have a more eternal perspective with these things or a more temporary perspective is ask the people who are closest to you um, because they will be able to look into your life and let you know, um, hopefully with an unbiased opinion, um, of the ways that you are approaching your life and your values. So, yeah. So, and then another thing that I just want to, like, let us know is that as we delight in Christ and as we, you know, just pursue him and, like, give him our lives, like, we can have, um, we can just trust that as we pursue him, he's going to rewire our hearts as well to have a more eternal focus and eternal perspective on things. Because like, that's something that we need to understand is that we can't conjure that up on ourselves. Like We can't do it. We don't have the power to do it. Um, but we can trust that as we pursue Christ, as we put him first above all things, he will give us the grace and his power will go at work within our hearts to change us from the inside out, to, to live the life that he's calling us to live with our personal values. So, okay, so now take your personal values, keep those in the back, in the forefront of your mind, not the back of your mind. Um, now we're going to take some time to identify our callings. Um, so our callings, um, once again, simple, uh, what we do for God, how God uses us in the world. Um, but I actually really like this definition from Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. Um, it says, a calling is a strong inner impulse toward a particular course of action, especially when accompanied by conviction of divine influence. So first and foremost, as we get into the topic of callings, um, I just want to make it clear. And once again, we probably all know this, but you are called wherever God places you. So obviously with your sphere of influence, your friends, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, wherever God has you, he is calling you to be salt and light in that area and to make an influence for him. So that's something that we need to um, understand that like, okay, because like, I feel like sometimes we can think calling and we have to think like, oh, it's going to be this like huge, big thing that impacts all these people. And it's like, no, like, it's not that like a calling is just literally wherever God is asking you to be obedient for uh, or obedient to in your life. So first and foremost, all of our callings is to be in like an influence for Christ in the places that he's given us. Um, But sometimes... Maybe more often than not, but sometimes God will call us into a specific area of ministry or a movement or a service for Him, and those specific um, areas can be propelled by our personal values. Um, so once again, I'm going to refer back to my personal examples of truth, purpose, and relationships, and um, as these values um, have bless you, as these values have been you know on my heart and stuff like that um, they have been flushed out in different ways in my life. So like for years I was blogging, I was just writing about, you know, God's word and God's truth. Um, right now, currently I do a Thursday night, uh, discipleship group with girls, like every single Thursday night and, um, invest in relationships that way. Um, part of a young adult ministry and I serve there because I believe in those relationships. And then, um, even just as simple as teaching God's word right now, like these values of truth and purpose and relationships have just been flushed out in different ways in my life. Um, and that's something that we should understand as well is that, um, you know, maybe you're looking at your personal values and maybe you're asking, you're like, okay, God, like, what can I do with these personal values? How are you calling me to use them? Start thinking about those things. Like, like don't, don't underestimate the things that matter to you and how God can use that in the world. Especially because, like, when you are super passionate about one of your personal values, like, you can be so effective in this world because passion drives so much. It drives, you know, you to talk to people and to step out even though you're afraid and all these different things. So start just, like, thinking about those personal values and don't underestimate what God can use in those things. And then another thing that's really important to understand is that as seasons change, our personal values can change as well. Um, so, you know, I've been married for four years. I don't have kids yet, but I know that as I become a mother, I'm going to really value family dynamic, but I'm just not there yet because I don't have children. So we need to also understand that as seasons change or life-defining things happen to us or... Um, tragedy hits, or you have an awesome victory in your life, your values can shift and change as the seasons go on, your personal values. The fundamental Christian values need to always remain the same, but the personal values and what you're really passionate about and what you want to use in this world, those can shift and change as seasons change. And that's something where we need to be willing as women of God to be flexible with whatever God has for us. Um, You know, sometimes we can get so fixated on what we think our life should be like or what we feel like we should be called to do or whatever. But God's like, no, like you're so focused over here, but I'm doing a new work in your heart and I want to redirect your steps. So and that's why it's so important where we just pursue Christ first and foremost with everything that we are. And then he will lead and guide us with our personal values, with our callings and with whatever else he's asking us to do. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, if you didn't already, turn to the Book of Esther. Um yeah. So we're gonna we're basically gonna overview the whole chapter or a whole book. I'm sorry. (laughs) Not the whole chapter. The whole book. We're gonna do like a kind of flyover of this. Um, So like I said, I think I've said it a couple times so far. But um, so now we're going to focus on those fundamental Christian values. So hopefully I gave you um, just some tools to really think about the personal values and how your personal values can shape your callings or can reveal what God might be calling you to do in the season of your life or in the future. Um, But now I want to just take a step back and I want to focus on our fundamental Christian values because if we don't have fundamental Christian values solidified in our hearts, And if we don't have that as the foundation of who we are, then our personal values can become skewed. And even what we feel like God might be calling us to do can become skewed because the foundation hasn't been set. And we need to know and believe that if we want to be the most effective that we can be in this world, then with our personal values and with our callings, then the foundation of our Christian values that are shaped by the word of God need to be solidified in our hearts. And we can't pick and choose what we want to believe. And it doesn't mean that you understand everything. It doesn't mean you don't you even agree with everything. There's things in the Word that I don't agree with, with my flesh. But I will agree with it because I trust that God is bigger and he's better and he knows what he's doing and I'm not him. <laughs> so we need to understand that. So that's why I wanted to go into the Book of Esther, because as I started thinking about um, what to talk about, what to, you know, say for this morning, um, the Book of Esther was just, like, placed on my heart, and as I was starting to study this, um, the story is really about, um, you know, a woman standing on her Jewish values, and uh, not even a woman, but multiple people in the story standing on their Jewish values, Um, so obviously we're not Jewish, we're Christian, but the principles can still be applied to our lives. Um so we are just going to go through it. Um so chapter 1. So if you're not familiar with the story, um I'm going to give you pretty much hope a, a, a decent uh overview of it. So chapter 1 in the book of Esther, we're introduced to this king and his name is King Xerxes. And um this guy, it just seems like that he's like he's really wealthy. He likes his parties, he's like he likes his banquets and you know, just kind of just like living large basically. And um during a 7-day banquet he uh, summoned his queen, her name is Queen Vashi, to come to him, and he basically wanted to show her off to like all his officials and kind of like parade her around um, and we don't know why, but Queen Vashi actually refused that command. She was like, "No, like I'm not going to do that." and um, like I said, like we don't know why the story doesn't tell us, um, but either way, the king got very, very upset at her, and um, instead of just letting her do what she wants, um, he actually decided to dispose of her. And um, just get rid of her off of her throne, and um, and he did that because he didn't want um, other women to follow in her example. And the story just tells us that he's like, well, what if other women start to treat these like their husbands this way? So, out of, like out of fear of that happening, he disposed of her. Um, so that's basically chapter one in a nutshell. Chapter two in a nutshell is that he is now searching for a new queen. And he sends out this decree in all the land to basically find these be- young, beautiful virgins and um, to basically bring them into um, his, his city or whatever. To, uh, you know, kind of put them through a beauty pageant in a sense. It was the equivalent of a beauty pageant. So they had to go through this really long drawn out process. I think it was like a year purification process before they were even even able to like meet the king. Um, so it was a very long process. So he sends this decree to bring all these women um, into, uh, you know, his, his city and here we're introduced to two people who are very keen the story um esther and mordecai and esther obviously the whole story is about her but mordecai is actually her cousin and adoptive father um esther didn't have parents Uh, we don't know what happened to them Uh, but mordecai was her cousin and he decided to adopt her and raise her as his own so also in chapter two uh, we learn very quickly Um, that Esther won favor. She won favor with the king's officials and she won favor with the king and she ended up becoming uh, the new queen. And then also another part in the story that's really important is that Mordecai, her cousin, actually uncovers a plot where some people were going to kill the king. Uh, this is really important because we're going to refer to this a little bit later. But Mordecai, he discovers this plot because I don't really understand all the details, but he's, like, hanging out, like, outside the gates of, like, the, the kingdom or, like, the city, and he's just, like, hanging out over there. And um, he under, so he uncovers this plot. He tells Esther. Esther tells the king. The king finds out that it's true, and Esther and the king give credit to Mordecai, and they write it in a book. I think it's called the Book of Annals, I believe, A-N-N-A-L-S. Um, so, yeah, so they write it in the book. So, keep that in the back of your mind because we're going to refer to that in a little bit. So, chapter three, that was chapter two. Chapter three, we're introduced to a new guy, and his name is Haman. And Haman is a close confidant to the king. And he, in this chapter, he is actually um, in a position where uh, the king, you know, kind of like elevates him to a new position. And Haman gets really prideful and he gets really cocky about it. So instead of just like being like, okay, that's awesome. Instead, he goes throughout, you know, just this area and he starts telling people to bow down to him because like I said, he was very prideful. So he starts going to this area to tell people to bow down to him. And he went up to Mordecai and he told Mordecai, you know, hey, bow down to me because this is what like the king is doing. And Mordecai refused because Mordecai was a Jew and he only worshiped the Lord God. And because Mordecai refused to bow down to Haman, Haman was enraged. He got so upset that not only did he want to take it out on Mordecai, but he wanted to take it out on Mordecai's people, which were the Jewish people. So in chapter 3, we are introduced to um, just basically this point in the story where the story starts to shift because now opposition has increased to Mordecai and to the Jewish people. And um, yeah, Haman, I don't know what his issues were, but he had a lot of issues. Um, But what's something that's really interesting is that Mordecai stood on his values, like he refused to bow down to Haman because he was a Jew and he only worshipped God. And he stood on his values and then opposition came. And I think we've heard it a bunch of times this week or maybe it's been referenced. But that's something that can happen to us, too, and not even can happen, probably will happen. As we stand on our Christian values, we can also expect opposition. Um, this world, obviously, it's not easy to live in this world, to be a Christian in this world. Um, but So like, we can expect that. Um, but we are going to get into five different points of just, and I'm praying that God will just use these points to just encourage us as we stand on our values as we stand on our fundamental Christian values, um, because whether opposition comes or not, you know, God, he's basically got us in our hands and um, he's got a plan and purpose for everything that we face. And I think that the story really points to that. So, um, so yeah, so no matter what happens in our world, we can trust the following. And like I said, I have five points that we're going to go through. And the first thing that we can trust or, you know, that the story really helps us in, you know, living out our fundamental Christian values is this. The first point is this, God puts us exactly where he wants us, even if we don't see it at first. So, I'm going to read Esther chapter 4, starting at verse 1. And it says, When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, in reference to the decree being put into place by Haman to um, the destruction of the Jews, um, it says, He tore his clothes, put on a sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, sorry if I butchered that, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend her and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathab went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain to her. And he told him to instruct her to go to the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Pause right there. As we know esther was a jew and she did not tell anybody she hid her identity um mordecai just told her to do that so as she's a jewish people as her people are kind of you know basically in big trouble nobody else knows that these are her people as well so that's a really important detail uh verse 10 i believe okay so then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and in, in the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But thirty days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. If you know anything about the book of Esther, you probably know that line. It's like the most famous line for such a time as this. Um, But what we need to understand that in this moment where Esther is being told about, you know, this decree that's being put in place for the annihilation of the Jews, four to five years passed since she was selected to be queen until this moment here. So we need to understand that Esther, like, even though she was queen, you know, who knows if she would have realized why she was there in that position. And honestly, the fact that Mordecai was telling her, hey, like, who knows that you've come to your position for such a time as this, I gotta imagine maybe a light bulb went on her head and she's like, oh, like, okay, like maybe God does have a plan and a purpose for me right here. So sometimes, I mean, this is really relatable to us because sometimes we can be in a season or we can be in a position in our life where we have no idea where we are at. We have no idea why we're in the season. We have no idea how we even got here Um, because another thing that's super important is that Esther didn't ask to be in this position. She was not forced, that's a very strong word, but for lack of a better word, she was forced to be in this position because when the king sent out his decree to basically gather all these young, beautiful virgins, you didn't say no to the king. So if you were found to come to him, you had to go. Like You couldn't say no to him. So she wasn't in her position by choice. So we need to understand that just like Esther, maybe you're in a place right now where you don't understand certain things that are happening to you, but you can trust that whether you chose to be in your position or not right now, that God has a plan for it and he's going to use it regardless of what you see right now. And it's really hard to trust him by faith in the season that you're in, but we can trust that even if we don't see it right now, you know, as time goes on, we will see God's hand in our story and we will see God moving and working in the places of our life right now. Uh, so number two, uh, next point. I just actually need water. Well, I'll, I'll say it first when I need water. Um, so number two, our convictions on our values need to be stronger than our feelings. Okay. <laughs> okay. Our convictions on our values need to be stronger than our feelings. So there are two examples of this. Uh, the first example we already covered, and it was Mordecai who refused to bow down to Haman because of his Jewish beliefs. Um, So that's one example of somebody standing on their values, uh, or standing on their convictions, um, on their fundamental values, um, regardless of what he might have been feeling in the moment. And then the other example is Esther. And in Esther chapter 4, starting at verse 15, uh, it says, Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So if you remember, in the first few verses that we uh, just read for the first point, uh, Esther was telling Mordecai, like, I can't go to the king to beg for this because it is against the law to approach him without being summoned. And I haven't been summoned in 30 days. So if I go to the king, I'm basically putting my life on the line. And, and Esther, the verses that we just read, Esther 4, uh, 15 to 17, she made a decision where she recognized that God had her there for a reason. And even though she was probably feeling fear and distress and all these different feelings and emotions, she chose to go to the king anyways. And she stood on her values. She stood on her convictions of doing what is right. And in a world that opposes Christian values we also need to have the same approach. And I'm not saying it's easy. It's not easy. It's hard. It's really hard to stand on our values in a world that opposes them. But I mean, as believers, and I think we're seeing this more and more in today's world, as believers, we need to make a decision that, you know what, if Christ saved me, if I know that God is real, I need to make a decision that regardless of my emotions, I will stand on truth. Because our emotions aren't trustworthy. Like, Like, I was miserable waking up this morning, but I'm great now. But, like, when I'm done talking, I'm going to get tired again. And I always say this, too. Like, if the weather can dictate our emotions, how reliable are they? So, like, we have to always remember that our feelings and emotions, like, we cannot trust them. We cannot follow them. But that is why God gave us his word, so that we can know what truth is, we can know what the lies are, and we can stand on truth regardless of what's happening in our world today. So we cannot let our feelings and our emotions dictate our lives. I had another point and I lost it. Whatever. Okay, we'll continue. (laughs) Um, Okay, point number three. This is the next point. We need to cultivate wisdom and patience when living out our values and callings. So we need to cultivate wisdom and patience when living out our values and callings. So we're going to flip to the next chapter. Esther chapter 5 starting at verse 1 and it says this it says on the third day because as we ended the last chapter Esther decided she was going to fast for three days and on the third day she was going to approach the king so on the third day Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall the king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court he was pleased with her and held out excuse me held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom it will be given to you. If it pleases the king, Esther Esther replied, Let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may do what Esther asks." So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared as they were drinking wine. The king asked, uh, 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 the king again asked Esther, now what is your petition? It will be given to you. And what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Esther replied, my petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet, I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. So when I was reading the story, uh, I've read this story so many times, but as I was reading this point, I'm like, wow, that's really interesting. Like she was very uh, patient in answering the king's question and um, she was very wise and she was very strategic. And that's something I feel like can also be applied to her life is that when living out our values and callings, we need to have wisdom and we also need to have patience with what God is asking us to do. And, like I said, Esther was very patient and very wise in her approach to the king because not only did she just fast for three days, which was a very wise decision, first and foremost, but she fasted for three days. She approached the king on the third day. The king was basically, I mean, held out the gold scepter, so she wasn't going to die, and, you know, asked her, what's your request? Like, I'll give it to you. So she could have told him right then and there, like, you know, my people are in trouble, blah, blah, blah. But she didn't, and for whatever reason, I got to just believe that I don't know. She was probably just taking her time. But but she could have answered the question right there, but she didn't. She was like, come to a banquet that I've prepared today. And then they did. And he was like, okay, what's your request? And she's like, no, I'm not going to answer it. Come tomorrow to another banquet. Like, it seems kind of, ex- like, excessive in, in my mind. But when I look at it, I'm like, you know what? She was very wise, and she was very patient in her approach to the king to, you know, plead to the king for the saving of her people. And I think that's something that can be applied to our lives, too, is that especially when we are really passionate about our values or we're really standing on the word of God, um, obviously I am not advocating for you to be um, cowardly or to not speak up. I am praying and encouraging all of us to speak up but when the time is right and when God allows those doors to be open because as we all know maybe you've made these mistakes because I know I sure have sometimes I've spoken up on what I believe to be a Christian but I did it in my own way in my own time and I burned some bridges with people and I look back in those situations I'm just like What was the motive behind those situations and it was because i was acting out of my flesh maybe it was fear maybe it was anger maybe it was just me not trusting in god and his ways and his timing but as believers in christ we need to live such lives where we are being empowered by the spirit of god Where literally we have such discernment and we hear the holy spirit put on our hearts of one to speak up and one to stay silent or one to rush into a situation or one to walk in patience and in wisdom So that's something that we need to understand. Like we have to die to ourselves daily as Christians. We need to die to ourselves daily and realize that literally it is not I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. And as I live in that way, God will give me the wisdom and the patience I need to speak up with boldness and with courage when I need to. And then other times to stay silent when the time isn't right. So that's something that we need to um, all just recognize that God will do. Yeah, hi. Um, I just wanted to mention because I just saw it. Um, Do you think that maybe Esther was showing him honor by giving two banquets? Because Queen Vashti didn't. Mm, Yeah. I just saw that. That's actually really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's like a great point. I mean, that could be, and that kind of goes along too with her being wisdom, like wise, and patient mm-hmm. and even showing respect. Mm-hmm. And that kind of—you're <laughs> reading my notes—that goes into another point too, where it's really easy to, you know, be passionate about what God's word says, but then not treat not treat people with respect. And that's something that I feel like as believers in Christ, we need to get a lot better at that. Where when you you know, are, you know, talking to somebody who might have different views on you with sex or, you know, transgender stuff or homosexuality. It's like, are you still willing to love them, respect them for who they are? Because they're still made in the image of God. They are a human being whom God loves and who Christ died for. So are we willing as people, with people who completely disagree with our values, still willing to show honor and respect to them, but at the same time stand on our Christian values and speak up when the time is right? so that's awesome thank you so much for raising your hand Um, so point number four uh, when we're doing our part we can trust that god is doing his and i love this point so what's fascinating about the book of esther is that it is the only book in the bible where god or a name for god is not directly mentioned once and like you can read throughout the story god is never mentioned prayer is never even mentioned And because of that, some people actually think that the book is kind of like obsolete, like it's not important. Um, But then other people disagree with that. And I'm on the other people side where no, like the author of this book did that very purposely. And he did it in such a way. He wrote the story in such a way where, you know, he wrote out what was happening with Esther and with the Jewish people. But yet, even though God isn't directly mentioned, you can see his hand in this story in so many different ways. Um, so let's see here. Uh, so Esther six, starting at verse one, it says this: it says that that night the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book of Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed, big fan of Travers, <laughs> I probably butchered these names too, uh, two of the king's officials who guarded the doorway who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. So pause there. So remember in chapter two, when uh, we were overviewing that chapter and it was, it's okay if you don't remember because we're all tired, but in chapter two, Mordecai uncovered a plot of two people who were going to kill the king and Mordecai ended up getting credit for that. They wrote it in that book. And now all of these years later, because keep in mind that was very early on in the story, you know, four to five years passed from that time to Esther being queen, so a lot of time has passed. All these years later, on a random, random night, random, uh, in Esther chapter six, verse one, it says that the king could not sleep. And because he couldn't sleep, he opened up that book that was recorded of what Mordecai did for him all these years, all the years um uh, beforehand. And he is being reminded, the king is being reminded of what Mordecai did on his behalf. And something that we need to understand, like this is all happening when Esther is planning on going to the king. So, you know, Esther, she's doing what she knows she needs to do. She's standing up on her values and, you know, you know doing what she's got to do. She's preparing her banquet for the king. She is doing her part in the story. And she has no idea. We have no, um, We have no reason to believe that Esther knew what was happening in these moments, with the king not sleeping and being reminded of what Mordecai did for him. We have no reason to believe that Esther knew what was happening. So in this night, the king couldn't sleep, and he was reminded what Mordecai did, and this shows God's hand at work, because we're going to continue on um, in verse 4, because we can see in this moment, in this chapter, God is turning the story in Esther's favor and in the favor of the Jewish people. So picking up in verse 4, it says this, The king said, who is in the court? Now, Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole he had set up for him. Pause right there. In Esther chapter 5, Mordecai is so crazy, oh, not Mordecai, Haman is so crazy that he was literally in the process of setting up a pole to kill Mordecai on. And in this moment, he is actually going to the king to ask the king for permission To basically be like, hey, I hate Mordecai. Can I kill him? Like, this is what's happening in the story. And that's Esther chapter 5 shows that point, that that Mordecai is just, or not Mordecai, keep saying that. Haman is just, you know, getting enraged, and he just wants to get rid of Mordecai. So that's what's happening. Um, So picking it back up, it says, his attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. When Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor Now Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So prideful. Um, So he answered the king, for the man the king delights to honor. Have them bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one with the royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what has been done for the king that delights to honor. Go at once, the king commanded, get the robe and the horse and do just as what you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. I love this part of the story. It makes me laugh. It is so funny because now the story is turning. Like I said, Esther is in a moment where she is preparing this banquet to invite Haman and the king to come to. The king couldn't sleep one night. He's reminded of what Mordecai did for his behalf all the years years prior. He goes to Haman and Haman is in the process of going to the king to get permission to kill Mordecai. The king's like, hey, what should I do for basically my favorite person? And Haman's (laughs) thinking that he's talking about himself and he's not. So I just love it because the story is just turning and it just shows that in the midst of all these details, in the midst of what Esther was doing on behalf of her people, God was taking care of the rest. He was doing his part. And I, oh my gosh, we can trust that and we can believe that, that as we are obedient And as we're walking by faith, and even if it looks like that the circumstances are bleak, even if it looks like the world is crashing down around us, even if it looks like that nothing is working out in our favor, we can trust and believe that when we are faithful with what God is asking us to do, God will be faithful on his part as well. And the other thing that we need to understand is that God doesn't need us. He wants us. In Esther chapter 4, a little bit earlier, Mordecai told Esther that even if you don't, You know, do this. Even if you don't step up and try to save your people, God's deliverance will come from somewhere else. And I think that's something that we need to understand. And I'm not saying that so that you take a back seat. I'm saying that so that you are encouraged and reminded that the God of the universe doesn't need us, but he wants to use us. And what is it that God is mindful of us? That he is so seeing of all details of our lives that he wants to use us in our families in our spheres of influence and he wants to give us such purpose in this world it is a gift when we recognize what god wants to do on our behalf even if there's opposition even if there's suffering even if there's a tragedy happening left and right around us god's gift to us is just so incredible by what he's done for us with jesus on the cross and rescuing us and giving us purpose in this world But like I said, we need to trust and believe. And we need to have a bigger perspective on who God is. Because if you're anything like me, my perspective of God can get really, really small sometimes. And like we forget that he is the God of the universe. Like he's got everything in his hands. And we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to worry about tomorrow. We have to remember how big he is and trust. That even though I see about this much of his plan, he's got the rest in his hands. So in Esther chapter 6, this is the part where the banquet happens. Esther reveals Haman's plot and Haman was hanged or killed or whatever you want to call it on the very spot that he set up for Mordecai. And I'm not happy that he died. (laughs) That sounds horrible. I'm like so happy. I'm not happy that the guy died. But justice was served. And God made a way when there seemed to be no way. And he turned everything in the favor of Esther and Mordecai and the Jewish people. So that brings me to my last point, uh, point number five. And it says, God's help in hand might not come in the way that we expect. But he is always faithful and with us in the midst of adversity. So God's help in hand might not come in the way that we expect, but He is always faithful and with us in the midst of adversity. So Esther chapter 8, verse 11 says this. It says, "The king's edict granted the Jews to every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children and to plunder the property of their enemies. So the full context of this chapter, is that Esther ends up revealing, um, she, I mean, chapter 7, she ends up revealing her identity. You know, the king's like, who would do such a thing that, he, that they would destroy their people? And that's when Haman got killed. And um, in this part of the story, Esther comes back to the king and is begging, is begging the king to reverse the decree of the annihilation of the Jews because that decree went out where basically the destruction of the Jewish people were going to happen. And the king said that he couldn't reverse the decree. He couldn't do that because anything that was sealed with a king's signet ring could not be reversed. But instead of reversing it, he actually sent out a new decree saying that the Jewish people were now able to defend themselves and they were able to fight back. And when I was reading this part of the story, um, at first I was just like, well, that's stupid. Because <laughs> it's like you would think that the best ending of the story would be that the decree, the initial decree, would be done away with and that they would be completely protected. But that didn't happen. But just because that didn't happen, just because what we expected and wanted didn't happen, it didn't mean that God was any less faithful. Because even the new decree, where they were able to now defend themselves and fight back for their protection, that was still something that was done by the providence of God. And that's something that can also be applied to our lives, that sometimes we can expect that, or we can have this idea in our mind and have this expectation that God has to move and help me and deliver me in one way. And we can have our minds so fixated on one thing, but what if that one thing's not happening? And we, we kick and we scream and we cry and we're just like, God, like, why aren't you answering my prayers of this one thing that's not happening? But he's God and he might be doing something totally different right behind your back in a way that you never even expected. That's not gonna look the, that's not gonna look the way that you expect. That might not be something that you ever crossed your mind. But just because he doesn't move in the ways that we expect, it doesn't mean he's not faithful. If anything, it can maybe show that he's more faithful. Because if he's not giving us what we want, even if it hurts, even if it's painful, there's a purpose behind that we cannot see. And once again, he's God. We have to trust and remember how big he is and how small we are. And he's got everything in the palm of his hands. So the big idea of all of this is this. God will equip us to stand on our values within what he calls us to do. God will equip us to stand on our values within what he calls us to do. And I think that's something that we really need to remind ourselves. Because as you hear stories of, um, you know, Rachel Joy Scott and what her mom is walking through and, you um, You know, just certain stories of you hear people who are giving their lives to the cause of Christ and or, you know, standing up on their values in the face of opposition and hardship. What we need to remember is that whatever area God is calling you to, in whatever way he wants to use you, he's going to equip you to do that. So when you hear of somebody giving their life for for the gospel of Jesus Christ, you might think to yourself, oh, like, I can't do that. But Rachel couldn't do it in her own strength either god was preparing her for that because it is not i who lives but it's christ who lives in me so no matter where god calls us No matter if you're Esther, who you're putting your life on the line to save people, or if you're standing in the gap for your children in the schoolroom or in the school board or whatever it is, or you're at work and people don't like you because you're a Christian and you're standing in the gap, you can trust that God is going to equip you. He is going to give you everything you need to fulfill the calling that he's placed on your life. Not Rachel's calling, not this other person's calling, but your calling. And he is so intentional with where he places us. And just like Esther 4.14, the whole, you know, you know, the biggest famous line of the whole book that says, who knows that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. We are alive today in 2019 with all the craziness in the world, not by accident. It has been a divine purpose by God that we are all alive, that we're all in this room, that we all know Jesus. And God is working and he's moving. Even when you can't see it, even when it's not obvious, we can trust that he's got a plan, that your life matters. Don't buy the lie that your life doesn't matter because your life matters. Because we all know people who don't know Jesus. And we're in this for eternity. We're in this for the gospel. It doesn't matter in a sense, it doesn't matter what you might be doing when all of our goals is the same. We are all doing what we're called to do for the gospel and to rescue people from a life, you know, that's separated from God forever. So don't believe the life that you don't believe the lie that your life doesn't matter because it does. It matters more than you could possibly realize. And no matter who you are, no matter what's in front of you, God will equip you to do what He's called you to do. Okay, I'm going to close in prayer. <laughs> Okay, God, I just thank you so much for this time. Lord, we are just so grateful for who you are. God, the fact that you have called us and you've chosen us to know you and to partner with you, to invite other people into a relationship with you as well. And Father, I pray, God, that we would never take that for granted, God, that you didn't have to rescue us, you didn't have to save us, but because of your great love and your great mercy, you sent Christ Christ to die on a cross for our sins, so that we could be forgiven and we could be in your presence forever. And I pray, Father, that when we are going through hard times and difficult situations, that we would always remind ourselves of the cross, that we would always remind ourselves that Jesus didn't deserve that either, but he was willing to lay down his life for our lives. And I pray, God, that no matter what we're facing, even if life seems unfair or unjust or just so dang difficult in the moment, God, that we will trust, Lord, that we are with you, that you are with us, that you are helping us every single step of the way, that you'll never leave us nor forsake us, and that nothing can separate us from your love because of what Jesus did. So God, I just pray, that you bless these ladies, bless our time, the rest of the time. And um, give a safe cows home uh, in your name. Amen. Amen. Yay.